In this podcast, I'm going to talk about a poem by Brian Morris called In Cardigan Market. Um, and I just want to just talk through a couple of the main features of this poem um, so that you feel you've got a really solid grasp of it if maybe you're writing a controlled assessment essay about it. So in Cardigan Market, um, Cardigan obviously location in Wales, this market, it's a famous market. Um, and the title gives us the setting of the poem. And the poem, um, if you may notice, is in the format of a sonnet. And a sonnet was um, a really popular form of poetry, particularly in Shakespeare's days. Shakespeare wrote a lot of sonnets. And usually sonnets were love poems. Usually they were written to some kind of beautiful, idealised female figure. Um, So it's a bit of a shock when we read the poem and it starts with Auntie Jane Fish, they call her. She is rough, raw-boned, fat, toothless, 15 stone of grin and grumble. This is not what we would expect from a sonnet. So we have to ask the question of the poem, you know, why is the poem in the sonnet form? It's a very deliberate choice that the writer's made. Um, And what kind of associations are with that form? Um, And how does that link with the poet's message? Well, what's interesting is that for most of the poem, we have a lot of negative and pejorative comments about Jane. So, you know, no woman wants to be called rough, raw bone, fat, toothless, um, 15 stone. This is not a kind of flattering description that you'd want a poem to be, um, if it was written about you, to be about. Um, but what's interesting is that as we track through the poem, we do notice a distinct shift by the end of the poem. And that is classic of the sonnet form. Um, and you've only got to look at a couple of Shakespeare sonnets um particularly like uh, my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun um he kind of insults his mistress through most of the way through the sonnet and then it kind of twists it at the end to say that it's because he won't use exaggeration and hyperbolic phrases doesn't mean that his love is any less real so what we have here is we have a lot of pejorative comments about jane but by the end there's a bit of a shift in tone and we see that actually the writer does really admire Jane. So we've got a kind of hyperbolic, which means exaggerated description of Jane in that she is everything that is the antithesis, the opposite of what you'd expect a woman to be. It says her voice cuts the market din like a saw on a nail. Um, And that's a great simile, which really gets across the jarring um, obtrusiveness of her voice, really abrasive simile. I really like that. She stinks enough of fish to change the colour of the light. Um, so again, that's a fantastic um, image of showing how much she smells. And it says her phosphorescent flesh's steaming glow drips female sweat and friendship. So this isn't the ideal uh, femininity. And also, it's almost like she's taking on the qualities of the fish that she's selling because um, fish have that kind of phosphorescent flesh um, and sort of steam. Um, So it's like she's taking on the qualities of what she's selling. Traders know men come for miles and buy from morn till night. Daily she sells the princely salmon, trout, the vulgar heron and the vicious eel. There's a sense in which... um, Jane is very accomplished in what she does because these traders 
are coming for miles um, buying from her. And what's interesting as well is that uh, juxtaposition, which means the contrast between the princely salmon. Obviously, salmon is quite an upmarket type of fish that um, more wealthy people would eat. Um, and the vulgar heron and the vicious eel. And I love the alliteration of vulgar and vicious, um, but also the sense in which um, people of all social backgrounds will eat this food. Um, and the herring and the eel might be eaten by those lower class, maybe, particularly herring. Um, and there's a sense in which um, she is all things to all men. She's um, trading with all these different people of different statuses and her ways will end up in lots of different homes. Um, we've got the sense of accomplishment here in what she does. Um, and it says, all fresh, all caught before the stars went out. And that rep repetition of all, I think, um, really highlights the fact that her um, produce is fresh and good. Um, and the fact that they're caught before the stars went out and all day she squats here. Uh, that's known as anaphora, where you've got the lines beginning with the same thing. All this, all that, all that. Um, it, there's a sense in which her work never stops because she's obviously there from very early in the morning. Um, and there's a sense in which um, there's a dedication there. There's a hard working ethic there, perhaps. She's good at what she does. And this is her home, her community where she belongs. She squats here, nodding her big head, richly alive among the silvery dead. Uh, I love the way this last line breaks with the, the re more regular pentameter, the metre of the poem. And this word silvery really jumps out because it's like an extra syllable, silvery, three syllables. What I think is interesting about that is that silver is the colour of both the fish and the money that she makes. Um, so I think it's really interesting that Jane is associated with this kind of economic uh, image. And so when we look back through the poem after this kind of twist, we look back through the poem, we can actually see glimpses of positivity hidden amongst all the negativity. Um, she's 15 stone of grin. And obviously grin is positive, you know, um, smiling, friendship. Um, it mentions uh, the female sweat and friendship, um, the men coming for miles. So there's, there's hints here of her accomplishment and the respect that she has within this community. And whilst she's not, um, you can't value Jane for the traditional things you would value a woman for, like beauty, but actually, are those things really worthy of the value we give them anyway? Um, is that kind of old-fashioned sonnet to an idealised woman, is that just out of date now? Um, because I think this, this sense, the poem challenges that stereotype of, you know, a woman being just a beautiful accessory. Um, so I really like the way that Jane isn't a delight to behold, like most female subjects in poetry, um, but she's still worthy of a poem. She's still worthy of attention. Um, and though that the poet seems quite distanced from Jane, um, it almost sounds like the poet is being told about Jane from someone else because the first line, Auntie Jane Fish, they call her. She is rough, raw bone, fat, toothless. It sounds like 
someone is telling Brian Morris about Jane. Obviously, we don't know. Um, but there's that sense of distance that we're not sure that the speaker of the poem knows Jane personally. Um, and the fact that she's called Auntie Jane Fish, you know, his surname's been replaced by her trade. And in many ways, her trade uh, defines her. But there's a definite sense in which she is um, separate from the fish she sells by the end in that line, richly alive among the silvery dead. She's resilient, she's strong, she's vibrant. um, And that's the point where it really breaks away from what she sells, um, the dead fish. She isn't um, a dead fish that you could just ignore and set to one side. And so I think there's a lot of nuances in the poem about how we value women, about how we value the working class that she belongs to in this market community. Um, And it's worth unpicking the author's intention, the poet's intention here, and particularly whether you think the positive slant on Jane manages to overcome the negative terms. You may argue that because Jane has no dialogue in the poem, she effectively doesn't have a voice. Um, you may argue that the positivity is not enough to um, outweigh the negative terms that have been really bashed upon us repeatedly in that list format right at the beginning of the poem. So there's a lot you can explore here, different ways to interpret the poem. Um, and I think that would make for a really interesting essay. <laughs>